I know you've got uh, the words on the screen, but it's good to have Mark 8 and verse 22 in front of us because we're going to be looking at these words even when the words on the screen have gone. Let me pray. Father, we do want to thank you for the way that uh, you uh, invite us to follow a great king, but we know that following such a great king will one day be wonderfully glorious and great, but today it could be difficult. We pray that you help us to keep following him, even when to do that is hard for us. And teach us, we pray from the Bible, teach us through Joel, that we may follow you in a way that you want us to, that brings honor to your name. And we pray for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read, uh, starting from verse 22, Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spat in his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again and he said this plainly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him but turning and seeing his disciples he rebuked Peter and said get behind me Satan for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after him, after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I'll stop there and uh, leave chapter 9 verse 1 uh, for another day. But uh, I'll press the pause button and then the children will go to their group and uh, uh, the adults will stay for hours here. Thanks, Mike, for your welcome. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, these are very strong words of Jesus. So I pray that uh, I won't hide them in any way from you, but uh, that they will be clear. He uses extreme words. Words about being killed. Words about losing life for religion. And uh, that is something that worries people today, because there are religious extremists in our world who act like that. But Jesus is teaching us to be extremists. Christian extremists. Maybe you, might, you, you feel a bit embarrassed about that. So do listen to see if you can work out what, see if you can find out what Jesus is saying here. What does it mean to be an extremist Christian? The first part that Mike read is in verse 22. Uh, they came to Bethsaida, some people brought to him a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And then uh, he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village. When he'd spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And the blind man looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. So Jesus has done sort of a halfway miracle. And that, that's, it's extraordinary in itself that he's made any difference, isn't it? And, and modern people say, well, how can you believe in any miracle? And the answer to why we can believe in any miracle is that Jesus is in charge of the ordinary. So if you're in charge of the ordinary to make the same thing happen ordinarily every day after every day, then you're allowed to change it and do the extraordinary another day. Yeah? If you're the person who's always doing the normal, you can make the abnormal because you're in charge of it all. That's how he can make anything happen. But there's a strange thing here, isn't there? Because... This man's sight is only half healed. And if you know some of the stories about the life of Jesus of Nazareth, you know he can stop natural disasters. He can deal with uncontrollable evil. A man who was possessed by a crowd of demons. Uh, He can cure incurable illness. And he can raise dead people to life. So how is it that that man can't heal this blind man properly? You know, his battery's running down. Does he need to take a bet, another shot at it? Lost his touch? Well, it's not an accident. It's not a mistake that this man's sight is only partially healed. It's deliberate. And you will understand that if you're able to listen with me and follow on. It will become clear to us as we go on. Jesus uh, then is privately with his disciples. Verse 27, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? There's all sorts of talk about Jesus because he's such an extraordinary person. 
which has talked about some of the extraordinary things he's doing. So that sort of person, you know, Jesus is trending uh, at the moment. Everyone's talking about him on, if there was social media, they're talking about him. Um, and all sorts of names are going around. But what about you, Jesus says to them, verse 29, and he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you're the Christ. And Jesus doesn't argue with him. He doesn't, he doesn't disagree with him. Yes, he agrees with that assessment. He is the Christ, which is a name from the Old Testament of a, of a great leader of God's people. Jesus is the Christ. But Jesus uh, then switches when he talks about himself to use the name Son of Man, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Now this is another job name from the Old Testament, and Jesus seemed to prefer this job name to Christ. It is a person who had incredible authority. And Jesus is saying he is that person. He is that person who's going to be chief of all the nations of the world. That's what the Son of Man would do in the Old, in the Old Testament promise. So what's this great Son of Man going to do? The person who's going to be chief of all the nations in all the world. Well, verse 31. And he began to teach the disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. And be killed. Be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes. And he must be killed and after three days rise again. Why does he say this must happen? Why must he suffer many things? It must happen because it's God's plan. It's not just an accident that Jesus of Nazareth, later on in this book called the Gospel According to Mark, is going to die on a cross after he's been rejected by the leaders of the, the people. It's got to happen because it's God's purpose. And Jesus is choosing to follow God's purpose. He's going to lose his life. So, if you didn't, I, this is a spoiler alert, but you probably ought to know this if you've come to church for any length of time. As you read on, Jesus gets to Jerusalem and he does suffer. And he is rejected. They criticise him. They accuse him. He is killed. And only then does he start the new life that God intends all God's people to share. And Jesus knew at this point what was ahead of him. I don't know if you knew that. Before Jesus got to Jerusalem and was killed on the cross, the thing we've been singing about in the children's song, he died on the cross. He knew that was going to happen. He said to his disciples here, that's going to happen. He's not just predicting it. He's not saying, we're going to go to Jerusalem, we're going to have a great fight, but you know what, we're not going to be quite strong enough, we're going to be defeated. It's not what he's saying. That is the plan, it must happen. I must go to Jerusalem so that I can be killed in Jerusalem. Because it's God's plan. He's going to be suffering. And he's, very, he's quite exact about some of the suffering. Uh, verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. It's going to be rejected by the leaders, the people everyone is 
respecting and following and admiring. Jesus is choosing to lose his life at the hands of those men. But the disciples don't see it that way. Peter doesn't want Jesus to lose. Verse 32, and Jesus, it says he and he, that means Jesus, and Jesus said this plainly, and Peter took him aside, so Peter took Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him. Peter began to rebuke Jesus. No, Jesus, you're wrong. You're mistaken. You're confused. You don't understand. Now, you can relate to Peter, I assume. Uh, We like winners, don't we? We don't don't want to follow someone who tells us they're going to lose. I don't know if this works in your... If, if you're not from an English background, but people from English background, when they pick the football team, when they're children, they put the football team that's top of the league. So there's all, loads of people my age who follow Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool's not particularly good now, but it used to be top of the league. And you, when they were at school, yeah, I'm going to follow Liverpool. They're the winners all the time. And that's why they're Liverpool fans. We, we don't want to follow a loser. We pick the winners. <coughs> Peter doesn't, Peter doesn't want to, uh, to, to be with Jesus to say, look, we're going to lose. But Peter's wrong, verse 33. Turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked, that's Jesus, rebuked Peter and said, this is Jesus, said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus says to Peter, the reason you don't want me to suffer is because it wouldn't follow the things of man. It's not the things humans want. It wouldn't look impressive. It wouldn't make me look like a great religious leader. But Peter isn't the only one who doesn't want Jesus to die this way. Did you you hear that amazing way that Jesus spoke to Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. Satan doesn't want Jesus to fulfill the things of God. Because Satan doesn't want Jesus to obey God the Father. He doesn't want Jesus to go and follow God's plan to the end. So Jesus has said, this is God's plan. It must happen. And when I get to Jerusalem, it must be that all the leading people, who everyone really respects are going to hate me and they're going to kill me. That must happen. And Peter says, no, no, no. And so Jesus turns to Peter and says, yes, yes, yes. And you're trying to stop me because you're thinking like a man thinks and you're thinking like Satan thinks. It tells you that Jesus is not going to listen to Peter. He's going to go on and do it. This explains that really strange thing about the man who saw the trees. You see, Peter has partly seen the truth about Jesus because what's he said about Jesus? You're the Christ. Yeah, that's right. Thumbs up, Peter. Okay, full marks so far. And then Jesus says, okay, yeah, you're right. I'm the Christ. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I have to die and suffer. And Peter says, no. And so Jesus says, you're not seeing properly. Okay? So that really strange healing miracle is a, is a, 
a picture, an illustration for the followers of Jesus. They're beginning to see who Jesus is. Yes, he's the great king. But their problem is they don't understand what kind of great king God will put in place. And so they don't see him truly. They need more of a miracle from Jesus so that they will follow Jesus truly. And what about you? What about how clearly you see Jesus yet? Have you, even, have you recognised that first thing about Jesus, that he is the heart of God's plan? Jesus is the Christ, the great king that God has promised, who will one day come back and judge all humans on earth and, and will rule earth forever. Have you seen that about him? And have you seen the second part, that the way that Jesus does that is by all the leading people hating him and killing him? You've got that bit too. Because that's really important for you to understand the next part. Jesus teaches everyone, if we're to be amongst his people, we're going to have to choose to lose life like Jesus did. If we are among his people, we are going to have to choose to lose life like Jesus did. I wonder if that's probably on the handout. Yes, that's right. It's the third bold heading. Every Christian must choose to lose life now. So look at verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, so this is Jesus, Jesus calls the people and he calls his disciples and Jesus says to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Jesus here is is not saying that he's against the pleasures of life. Some people at this time of year are giving up chocolate for Lent. That's not what Jesus is telling you to do. It's harder than that. Uh, Jesus created food and marriage for us to enjoy, the Bible says. Denying myself is saying no to being king of my life. And accepting that my plans have got to fit in with God's plans. If we're amongst Jesus' people, we will do what he did. He was going to Jerusalem and going to literally give up his life. If we're following him, we're going to be willing to do that. We must take up our cross. Let me explain a bit about this, this thing. It's the, the cross I say to, when I go to schools and I talk to children, it's the Christian logo. You think about that, you know, different companies have got logos. Adidas has got three stripes, Nike's got a tick. McDonald's got an M. What have we got? The cross. And what does the cross mean? Well, the cross was what Romans used to kill the worst criminals with. And why did they do that? Because if, if the rulers wanted to kill Jesus, why didn't they just stick a sword in him and be done with it? Taking him to kill him on a cross you've got to have a group of soldiers and that's a whole afternoon's work. That's a lot of money. And the Romans didn't want to waste their money. Why go to all that effort? It's to humiliate that person and shame them and teach everyone a lesson. So that's what taking up your cross means. Taking up your cross isn't just I'm going to to have a hard time, it's I'm going to be humiliated. 
and made to look the worst. Deny yourself and take up your cross. And so Jesus is saying, if we're going to be with him, we're going to be like him. The people in this world who are impressive and look good are going to reject us and make us look stupid in the world. Now, sadly, uh, lots of people who understand this, it's too much for them. And so they don't want to become Christians. Good thing is they've understood it, but they decide it's too much. Let me tell you a story about two people in Dagenham who found it too much. They came uh, to speak to me, the vicar of Dagenham, said, we'd like our baby to be baptised. And I was pretty sure that they didn't know what Christianity was about. So I said, well, we've got a different service we can do at church where we give a a thanksgiving prayer to God for your baby. Um, And it's probably much better for you. No, 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 we want baptism. So, okay, it's five sessions to come round to my house and I'll talk to you about the Christian message and uh, then we'll see, you know, if we, if we agree, we think you're ready to have your baby baptised as people who want your baby to follow Jesus or really it, it should be a thanksgiving, which is a much uh, smaller ceremony. Okay, so we go through the sessions. I think each time I say, thanksgiving's really good, uh, we might really suit you. No, no, it wasn't baptism. <coughs> Fifth session was just after a terrorist attack, and um, the man said, you know what, people are really sick of this terrorism. Lots of people are going to become Christians now. And I said, oh, right, you think so? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So you, you think you, you'd like to be Christians? Yeah. And so what will that be like then when you go and you tell your family at the next family party that you're Christians and you go to church and, and you go to work tomorrow and tell your workmates, we're Christians now? And their face fell. And they said, you mean that's the sort of thing we need to do if we were the kind of people to have our baby baptised? And I never saw them again. It was too much. Now, the brilliant thing about following Jesus is he's really honest. He tells us about the difficult part in this life. You've got to deny yourself and take up your cross. He's, if we follow him, if we're with him, he went to Jerusalem, all the leading people treated him like rubbish because they weren't following the ways of men they were following the ways of Satan they didn't want the ways of God it's difficult I used to worry uh, Jesus said here you know you've got to you've got to deny yourself be willing to lose your life what if a terrorist rushed into Beckentry Church right now and said Joel are you a Christian Deny Jesus or I'll kill you. Would I say, yes, would I be brave enough? I need to worry, you know, would I, would I, am I really a Christian? Well, actually, it's a bit harder than that. Because what Jesus wants Joel to do, and he wants you all to do, is to deny myself today. Put myself out for the sake of Jesus. And then do it on Monday. And do it on Tuesday and Wednesday and deny myself on Thursday and Friday and say no to Joel's preference on Saturday and yes to Jesus and do the same on Sunday. And if I keep on doing that for 20 years, then when the terrorist comes in and he says, Joel, are you a Christian? Oh, of course. I've already made that choice. That's my life. 
the way I've been walking all, all those days. There's no choice to be made. I've already decided. I've already lost my life. But why would we do that? You know, these are, this is the biggest sort of thing that Jesus could, could ask you to do, and it doesn't sound like a great deal, does it, at the moment? Let's see you all sort of cheering and saying, yeah, you know, where do I sign up for this? Um, why would you do that? And Jesus gives three choices that tell us why we should do it. Lose your life now, or lose it forever. Gain the world now, but you lose your soul. So give up trying to gain the world is the better choice. And then reject Jesus now means that we will be rejected by Jesus when he comes back. So those are three ways that Jesus, three ways that Jesus says this is worth doing it. So he says in verse 35, uh, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. There's the choice. Lose your life for Jesus and it will be saved at the end. But you try to grab onto it now, do it your way, man's way, and in the end you'll lose it. If you've been listening to Jesus properly, what he's saying here feels like suicide. And people will say, you know, if I become a Christian, my husband will hate me. It feels like suicide. I can't face my friends at work. That's what that couple said. That, that is what Jesus is asking. For the, why? For the sake of Jesus and the gospel. Now, that would be a whole extra talk for me to explain what is meant by that. So please ask Mike, if you don't know what that word means, the gospel, ask Mike or Debbie to, or someone else who's been here longer in the church to explain that. Because Jesus is saying, these things are worth losing your life for. These things are worth going, like I'm going to go to Jerusalem and be hated by the world. These things are so precious, it's worth you doing the same. So you, if you don't know what those things are, you need to find out. It's important for you as a whole church, Beckentry Church, not to give in, not to try and save your life now and be a really uh, popular organisation in Beckentry by giving up on Jesus. You need to hold on to Jesus and the message of Jesus even if it makes you an unpopular organisation. If that makes sense. We don't, want to, we don't go out of our way to be unpopular. We don't want to be rude and difficult. But if holding on to Jesus and his message makes us unpopular, which am I going to pick? I'm going to hold on to Jesus and his message because it's worth it. Lose your life now because of Jesus or lose it forever second thing you might gain the whole world now but lose your soul he's got two questions verse 36 what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul you see riches give us protection but they don't protect us from death and after death, what use will they be? The next question, verse 37. What can a man give in return for his soul? It's, no matter how successful you are in this life, 
I've, been, I've had uh, a, a, an invitation to go and visit a man who was dying in his front room. And, you know, the, the family knew this was nearly the end. And they wanted the vicar, vicar to come round because they thought, well, perhaps he hasn't done the right stuff in his life. And what are we going to do now? And how can we help him? He was unconscious. There's nothing really I could do apart from pray for him. It was a, it was a shocking experience, really. Really clear illustration of what Jesus is saying here. What are you going to do when you're that person in your front room, on that bed, with a driver putting in the morphine to deal with your pain, and you're going to die? Will you be ready? Jesus said you can't be ready. You can be ready. But not if you're trying to spend your life grabbing everything. You've got to be willing to let go of that. And especially the thing Jesus is talking about here is being willing to let go of what other people think about me. That's the focus here. He's not against you owning a car or having a television. He's against you giving up your whole life trying to have lots of likes on your Facebook page or whatever your social media is. Or never doing anything to make waves in the family. We'll be willing to be like him, the one who was rejected, because we're following God's way, not Satan's way. So, lose your life now because of Jesus, or you'll lose it forever. Give up trying to get the whole world, because it's not going to do anything for you. And lastly, if you reject Jesus because you want others to like you now, when Jesus comes back, he will reject you. You see that in verse 38? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. So that's Jesus talking. So whoever is ashamed of Jesus and of Jesus' words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of that person, of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he, the Son of Man, comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Let me unpack that. There's a long sentence. Who's this adulterous generation? He's not saying that all the men in that time were sleeping with other people's wives. Okay? He's not meaning it like that. Uh, they were adulterous towards God. Adultery is when you sleep with someone else who you shouldn't be sleeping with. Okay? Adultery towards God means rather than loving God with your life, loving something else with your life. Jesus says, don't try and fit in with those people who reject God and love something else he is going to come back and when he comes back he's going to be with God's holy angels and that is the gang you want to be in you think about it, tomorrow morning you go into the playground if, if, I don't know, no one here goes in the playground you go into the office or you go into the shop or you go into an event where there's some people in the room and everyone's mocking you for being a Christian and you want them to welcome you. You don't want to be known as a Christian because you know they'll pull your leg or they'll stop that conversation when you walk up to them and they'll cut you out. But Jesus says here, put up with that because I'm going to come back and when I come back, you're really going to want to be in with me rather than in with them. That's the choice. That's part of what he's meaning by the gospel. The gospel promise is that you can be with him and with his holy angels. You can be with Jesus 
when he comes back and puts the world right forever. That's the clique or the clique you want to be in. So that's the choice. See, today and now we can say, oh, I don't really follow Jesus. No, I, I went to Beckettry Church once, but I'm not really with that lot. Yeah. You know, just because we're embarrassed, because we want to fit in with this adulterous generation, or we can say, yeah, I do follow Jesus. And we can take the trouble that comes with that, and he is saying that will be worth it, because he's coming back. Let me just uh, try and... There's a couple of things that people get wrong here. Um, One thing we think is, you know, Jesus is just saying, so long as you have a really hard life, that means you're a Christian. You know, so long as life's been really difficult. He's not saying that. He's not saying God loves people just because they have no friends. Or God loves people just because they're poor. He says, if we are with Jesus, we will put up with the trouble from the world that doesn't like Jesus. That'll show that we're loved by God. And he's not saying here, look, I'll only forgive you if you stand up for Jesus. Not saying that's it, that's an extra that's an extra thing. You thought Mike had told you that forgiveness was free. And now here someone's coming from another church and saying, no, no, you've got to add this one on. Okay, it's not saying that, it's saying the person who's been welcomed back by God and forgiven has come home. And if you wanted that forgiveness and you've come home to God and you love Jesus, you love him. And you don't care so much what the other people are going to say about you. Well, you don't care enough to give in to them because you love him. You see, forgiveness is not just come back home and then carry on being secret about me and pretend to everyone you're not a Christian. Christian forgiveness is come back home and you're with me. And you say, yeah. Even though some of those other people are going to make it difficult for you. Three uh, groups. If you're not a Christian, you've got to choose. And it's the biggest choice you can make. And I'm sorry if I've made it less clear than Jesus makes it. Because he couldn't be more clear. And if you don't choose, you're still choosing. You're just avoiding it. So that's if you're not a Christian. If you are a Christian, and people you know, maybe someone you're married to, or maybe someone in your family or in your workplace making life hard because you're a Christian well don't be surprised be encouraged because it's an encouragement that Jesus knew what he was talking about and then uh, last thing Mike's given it away whoever made this sheet Who 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 in this story was ashamed of Jesus who in this story in the end. Not here, but later on. If you know what carries on, what happens later in the Bible, who ended up being ashamed of Jesus? Peter. Peter. Yeah. This person who, you know, thought he knew everything. He was ashamed of Jesus. But he was forgiven. Okay? And Jesus gave him a great... In fact, Peter's written some of the books we've got in the New Testament. Okay? So you can get it really wrong and get, get brought back and reassured.
the point of Jesus is not saying that you'll never ever get this wrong, you'll never ever be embarrassed about me, you'll never never sort of sit back and be quiet because you're afraid. He's saying that won't be your whole way of life. If your whole way of life is, oh, I don't know Jesus, no, I never went to Beckentry Church, no, no, don't think that about me, then have you really come home to be with Jesus? Did you really want that forgiveness and did you really want to be his person if you're going to spend the rest of your life denying him? Yes, we'll get it wrong. Let's pray for God's strength that we would be forgiven and have more courage the next time. So it's the biggest choice and it's, it's a hard choice. And the reason it's hard is because we live in a world that hates God. And so if we're going to love God... The world's going to hate us. That's how it works. Keep encouraging each other. Let me pray. Shall I lead us to pray? I pray. If you, if you agree with my prayer, do say an amen at the end. Father, we wished we would love to live in a world where everyone did love you and it wasn't difficult to be a Christian and we didn't get embarrassed or afraid but, but we don't live in that world yet so help us to follow what Jesus has said and live properly in this hard world Father I pray for the people of Beckentry Church that when they come here on a Sunday they would be such a help to each other because we need each other's help to keep going when the world hates us because of you. We pray for anyone here who's ashamed because they have, they've been embarrassed about Jesus and feel like they've really messed up. Please show that person or those people that they can be forgiven like Peter was and help them to find more courage next time, please. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.